What is up, everyone, and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. I hope you've got a long drive to work or you're going to be on the treadmill for a while because episode 26 is a lengthy one. We're going to give you a full NAM 2016 recap. We'll get to a couple of your guys' questions. In the educational corner, Mike and I will discuss some of our favorite exercises for using the book Syncopation. We're also going to discuss Mike Borden, the fantastic drummer from the band faith no more in our gear review section we're going to check out a 14 by 5 gretsch chrome over brass usa custom snare drum and as always we'll give you our picks of the week holy crap that was a mouthful episode 26 the weather here in california is fantastic it is 68 degrees no wind uh, no clouds rub it in mr dawson how was your travel back from la oh rub it in rub it in so uh, we got like 30 inches here i think roughly that is yeah, awesome. Pretty cool. So I showed up at the end of it, but it took me 36 hours to get here. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. So so pretty much you could have just gone to New Zealand and back. I instead. thought I was on a route to Alaska, pretty much. That's so awesome. Our, wow, our flight man. got canceled out of Santa Ana, and they put us on Alaska Airlines to go to Seattle, which is that's on the way to New Jersey, of course. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I've done that one before. <laughs> and we, and then we get to Seattle, and we find out all the United flights are canceled that night, so... Oh my god. We goodness. thought we were going to have to get a hotel, but then they scrambled and they found some some Delta flights that would eventually get us back to New York via Minneapolis. It was pretty crazy. So, oh, of course. Yeah, so we had a good like six hour layover in Seattle. That was fun. Hey, if you're gonna be stuck in any airport, that's not a bad airport. They've got good restaurants, good fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there was it's a, not uh, the worst. A sub pop record store, which is pretty yes, cool. Yes, there is, yeah. yeah. Isn't that cool? So I bought a bunch of vinyl. That was that made it that was a saving grace to buy some. Yeah, man. No, that's, I mean, for guys, you know, uh, in our age category, that sub pop uh, store is just incredible. You walk through and you forget how impactful all those bands were on our lives. And I'm not talking like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I mean, like Mud Honey and yeah. Paul Westerfield. Is it Westerfield? Westerberg. Or, uh, Westerberg, yeah. Like all these things where it's like, wow, that was the soundtrack of my my life at the time. Yeah. You know? And they got a lot of good and, new artists, too. So I was it was cool to just hang out there and listen to records and. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. It killed the time. Very cool. Good. Yep. And well, regardless, you're home safe, and it's episode 26. Yep. We made it through. We made it through another Nam. Let's do it. So far, no uh, no Nam Thrax. That, oh man, I'm I'm a happy man. <laughs> I'm happy on two levels because you know that I was kind of sick, so I'm happy that I didn't infect anybody. I've talked to everybody that I've hugged for the most part, and I'm like, "How you feeling?" Like, and not bringing anything up, but they're like, "I'm good, man." I'm like, "Cool." I didn't I didn't get anybody sick, and uh, I didn't catch anything myself, so it was it was a good time for sure. So, how was your Nam overall? It was a ton of walking. I mean, I it was the first year that I had the uh, the iPhone with the the health app. So at the okay. end of the day, I could look and see how much walking we did. And we were all doing like five plus miles a day. Per day. Yeah. In a convention center. In a convention center. So you're walking slowly and kind of painfully on hard concrete right. floors and stuff. So it was brutal. But, you know, overall, I think it was a it was a, a very strong business year. There wasn't I a agree. whole lot I of agree. pomp and circumstance. There wasn't a lot of flashiness. It was just good products and good deals. And everyone that I, you know, my my custom shop friends they all were like yeah we we had the best year we've had in a long time so it seems like with all the all the contraction and everything is just getting you know more focused and more like like effective you know, everyone's going for yeah I, I i think the only thing that we're kind of missing this year that i was hoping for which will help the industry a lot is okay well who's putting in the effort to create 
new you know new entrants into the market who's creating new drummers who's really going after that because i think the people that are already playing are so should be so overly satisfied with the gear that came out this year yeah. and the direction of all the companies and the main thing now is how do we get a child to choose this instrument over football baseball or basketball and that's i think that's going to be the next step otherwise we're only going to be selling products to the people that already buy the products but then, yeah. then the industry can't grow. So that's, yeah, that's tough. Uh, that's a lot. That involves politics and governments and and public school systems. I mean, that's so that's much why involved. I'm going to do it <laughs> all by myself. Vote for Mike. <laughs> yeah, uh, please do not. That is the last thing I need. But uh, but yeah. So I, I think that's something. You know, some years it just. Um, I, and I think also if you go to PASIC, maybe you get a better a better sense of that, and then. Uh, Nam, you're going to get the the full out sales thing. But I, I really love the fact. The one thing that I took away from the most on the custom side is every custom company, everyone I talked to that owns a custom company, spent the majority of the conversation telling me what they've done to change the sound of the drum, not what they've done to make it look cool. Yeah. And you know, um, what's the uh, the president of Masters of Maple? Oh, Sai. Yeah, his, his, his call him Sai. Okay. Okay, so Sai, I mean, he he really went for like 20 minutes with me on the shell construction and and the patents that they're applying for and what they're going to do to make the the sound different. And what I really, really loved was they really showed off with those two kits. Here's what a modern drum set sounds like, and we can do that as good as anybody. And here is as thuddy and, you know, you got to play your kind of, uh, I'm trying to think, like Black Sabbath cover band yeah. thing, and it, here's the thuddiest, woodiest drum set we have, and the the sonic difference even inside of the Nam Convention Center was so obvious. It was like, wow, your drums can sound different. That is really cool, and I, so I just loved it. I loved that everyone that I talked to, like I said, just really put a lot of time into telling me what they're doing to make the drums sound different. Because that's always been my thing. Is like at some point you're just making it prettier and prettier, but that has nothing to do with the the sound, yeah. which is what this should be all about, you know? Yeah, and the other thing that I noticed was production. They were kind of emphasizing production. Other companies, like Pearl is now doing, they opened up their custom shop. I don't know if I talked about this on Thursday. Did we talk about Pearl? No. Yeah, no, so not they, at all. they opened, normally their custom shop in Nashville was for their artist only. Like they would do their artist okay. custom kits there, but they're opening that up for, for dealers and for, for regular drummers to order a custom kit. So they, you know, they kind of codified it. There's a whole bunch of finish options and size options, but it's all like it's restricted. You can't order, you know, a 30 inch bass drum at this point. Sure, sure. But there's a lot of finish options, some classic stuff, some new stuff, all the sizes that you would want for a normal kit. And the turnaround is 14 days. Oh my goodness! That's got to be the most efficient custom build yeah. I've ever heard. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually you're, you know. They tell you six to eight weeks, which you know means six to eight months. Yeah, and that's if you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've definitely ordered. You know, as a customer, when I was younger, I've ordered custom kits, and yeah, I mean, you could get close to a year, and you're and you have to start calling, and you yeah. feel like you're pestering them, and it's like, dude, it's a drum set. Yeah, it's around, it, and it finally shows up. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh wow, I I already bought a Mapex Saturn Pro. Like, I guess yeah. I you know can sell that. So, well, okay. So if you were now looking back on Nam. If I said, okay, there's no Modern Drummer hookup, there's no endorsements, I need you to take this batch of money and go buy one thing from Nam. what is the one thing you would buy? Oh, my, my, my. Should I have texted you that <laughs> a little earlier? <laughs> the one thing, I mean, it's I'm actually in, in a position where I think I need to upgrade my studio. 
Mm. So it actually would have been not even in drums. I would have been over in the Avid booth or the uh, the right. Apogee booth and buying their their systems. Nice. So I need a, I need I a full you, on. I need a Pro Tools and I needed the Apogee Symphony IO system, which that's a that's a ton of freaking cash. Like I'm not is looking it really? forward to it. Yeah, they get the because Apogee has like the the Symphony system, which is like the high end. It's what all the pros are using. Okay. That shiz is like five grand just for the for the <laughs> Did interface. you just say shiz? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that like is awesome. Five grand just for the system. But they also but they have, wow. you know, this now, the Symphony IO is the is the really expensive one. They have the ensemble, which is an eight channel interface. Okay. And you can then you can daisy chain two of those together. So you can get sixteen channels with the ensemble, which is probably the route I'm gonna go. But even still okay. one of those is like twenty five hundred bucks. So it's about so a $5,000 investment to get investment. 16 channels. How does that go at home with the wife? Is it just like something you just kind of like cough out and maybe she hears it, maybe she doesn't? Or do you have to like actually have to sit down and talk about it? Well, I mean, luckily it's set up as a separate business, so it becomes a, a tax oh. write-off expense. But it still, sure. it still hurts. I mean, I'm, I'm still oh, rocking. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood, I'm still rocking a MacBook Pro from 2006. 2000, yeah, 2006. Wow. So Man. I haven't had to do any upgrades in a long time, but it's it's at the point now where I I need to make the jump to Pro Tools. I need to get this new Apogee system because right. I can't even and do you, email on my laptop anymore. It's so outdated. Right now, do you think that with something like that, is your ear at a level where you could actually hear like, oh, I upgraded my system? Absolutely, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm pretty excited because I'm having to do a lot of of. You know, I'm, I'm I'm excited to just be able to turn it on and have it be the way I want it to sound, rather than because I've had to like really tweak my studio out and mic placement has been super important and high end. I'm, I'm realizing that what I th- what I like about recording into Ableton is it's a darker sound because so, okay. my room is kind of harsh sounding because it's just a, it's a basement, right? So so Ableton kind of darkens it up, but it's not giving you the true completely true sound so you've got to add some high end and stuff so i'd rather just have it be a clean crisp sound and then i could darken it down if i need to rather gotcha. than start dark cool. so yeah i'm at the point where i can hear it it's not quite the depth you're not getting that 3d imaging that you get with the higher end stuff you know it'd just got be it. less got effort it. i'm having to just work hard to get a, a good sound do you have any idea how much you're screwing up my life right now? Because I'm thinking like, yeah, that's what's missing. Do you know how much better my online drum lessons would be if I had a more transparent sound and that 3D imaging? Yeah. That's what I need. Yeah, it is. Oh, screw you. <laughs> you and your shiz can run. Just get out of here. Get out of yeah. here. Get off my lawn. So I would dump about uh, seven grand on an Apogee, or an Apogee system with Pro Tools, at least. Wow. Well, con- congratulations, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Can I borrow Good. about eight grand? <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, yeah, it's Amber at Mike'sLessons.com. Um, and I, you know what? You are probably one of the five people in the world that you could probably get that loan approved today. Like, she loves you. Uh, she absolutely loves you. So I'm I'm sure she would. And now I couldn't, personally. Yeah, if I was like, yeah. babe, I need like eight grand to do this thing, she'd be like, no. But uh, Dawson, yes, he can have whatever he wants. Oh, man. What well, you know you, what? If, what would you buy? I was, yeah, I was going to say, um, I, I hate to sound like a homer. Um, so I'll, I'll throw a couple things in there, but definitely the one thing that took me off or kind of surprised me was, um, Gretsch's bronze snare drum. Mm, okay. So they came out with a 14 by five and a 14 by six and a half bronze snare drum. And as we'll hear in late, later in this, um, episode, we're going to kind of review a chrome over brass snare that I have from them. And I just haven't found that middle ground yet. I have my nice classic maple snare drum sound. 
and it's just fat and woody and I love it. And it actually sounds a little better when I bring it down in tuning a little bit. And then I have my 14 by five chrome over brass, which is just snappy and crisp. And I haven't found that middle ground yet. And I thought it might be my solid aluminum and it, it just isn't. It's just the solid aluminum is not a rolled aluminum. It's as thick as any maple shell. Yeah. And it just sounds like its own thing. It's its own animal. And then I went up there, and you know how hard it is to hear things at NAMM already, but as soon as I, I hit the bronze, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. I don't know much about – or I'm sorry, I hit the copper. And I'm like, oh, I don't know much about copper. That's interesting. And then I hit the bronze, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's what I've been looking for. Yeah, so absolutely. I think if I could buy any – what's that? So you're going to get one? Yeah, definitely. Um and Mike Nealon was like, you know, dude, I think you have like 15, 14 by five and five and a half snares. It might be time to get a six and a half. And I'm like, I can't see it on my drum set. It's like playing a floor tom. But and then as soon as I hit it, it sounded so deep and so fat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely going to get the 14 by five of that. And I just absolutely love it. Um, so that was cool. And then. I'm trying to think. Other than that, um, definitely the Danette snare that we talked about, the, um, yeah, the know, Australian wood one. I know three one. or four guys are claiming that drum already, so you better speak uh, now. <laughs> I, you know, I let let them have it. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to hide my love for that drum and not play it online. Like I want to yeah, be able to play yeah. it. It's it's beautiful. But uh, I loved that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. I think the. The hard thing for me was the things that I got to experience the most were upstairs. So my my biggest lasting impressions, I hate to say it, were Gretchen Meinl because their booths were upstairs. Yeah. And when I heard that 24-inch Meinl dark Big Apple ride, yeah. oh, my God. Now, that ride may sound like 400 other rides downstairs, but I never got to hear them. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, uh, so yeah. So I, I just – I think I would get – if I – if there were no endorsements and somebody just handed me a wad of cash and said go buy something – it would have been the Ron, uh, the Dunnett snare that we talked about, and then it would have been the fourteen by five uh, bronze, yeah, bronze uh, Gretsch snare. That thing was just incredible. There were cool. So, there were a well, couple uh, stackers that I heard that because I I don't really use stackers very much. So for me to like invest a bunch of money in two symbols to stack right. up or to kind of risk damaging what I currently have, I, I just don't do it very often. But I saw that Dream Symbols has a really affordable stacker combo like i think a 10 inch oh, awesome. one and a 12 inch one really neat and they're, they're they're really not expensive so i i got upset at those sent over to review and then cool. uh trx had in their their chinese made symbols called crx okay they pre-configured a bunch of combinations of a china and a splash and stuff so those are all really nice and they're all really really cheap that's cool, man. Dream has always been one of my favorite companies. I think they just uh, – I, maybe it's because I'm a rock drummer that's had to play quite a few jazz gigs just covering for friends and stuff in town. And it's always been that battle of like am I really going to drop you know, maybe $1,800 on a full set of jazz cymbals? Yeah. Or, and then Dream came out and I was like, okay, my ear is not good enough to tell the difference. This sounds like a jazz cymbal to me. I'm not a jazz drummer. And so I've always been a huge fan of their stuff. And I, and I don't think they do anything overly cheesy. You know, their yeah, logo no. is nice and understated. It's like, like when you put it on your kid, it doesn't look like, oh, that's clearly not a professional symbol. It's like, it's so understated. It's like, wow, what is that thing? Yeah. Um, so I, I, for any of you guys out there that are looking for kind of a, a value option for some really cool stuff, definitely check out dream symbols. Um, yeah, I agree. And they had a, a new thing called tri hats where they're giving you three separate hi hats so you can mix and match them to make six different combos. 
Oh wow, that's pretty cool. So each one's that's cool, different sized. I mean, I okay, I saw you post about you posted about that on the Instagram feed, right? Yeah, I did. And I thought that was I thought what it was because Benny's been using three three hats, yeah. yeah, at once. I guess you can and do so that. I thought that's what that was. That way. No, it's like I think it's like yeah. contact. It's like a thinner one, a medium weight one, and then a heavy one. So you can just that's pretty cool. Mix and match them. And that's again, a great the price idea. Is, is crazy affordable. <laughs> Right, that's awesome, man. We'll definitely check that stuff out. All right, so let's get to an, uh, to a couple listener questions. So the first one comes from listener named Robert Gordon. So Robert says, first of all, great podcast, guys. I've learned a lot, and you guys make my long drive seem much less miserable. <laughs> I especially enjoy the pick of the week. I have a question about how to get a gig. You guys have talked a lot about how to pre- prepare for a gig and how to present yourself and be professional musically and as a person, but I'm from a very small town where I'm well-known and I have no problems finding consistent work, but I will be soon moving to Nashville uh, and I'll be a small fish in a big pond. Do you have any suggestions to put me on the path to, to rebuild my career? Also, are there any do's and don'ts as a musician in a new city like Nashville that I should be aware of? You want to go first, buddy? Man, that's a tough, tough, tough. I was just talking, actually, I was just talking to the my cab driver back from the airport yesterday about this idea because he's he's a uh, part-time referee for like college and high school basketball. Okay. So it sort of parallels with the freelance. Like It's a lot of word of mouth, and you kind of sure. just have to build up a reputation over time. So I was just kind of talking about this very topic. Like when people ask me, how do I get work? How do I get a job? It's it's not like you can just go down to the union and, and fill out paperwork and they, they drop you off at a gig and then you're fine. Nope. I mean, there are some things you could do. You could you could call up a uh, a uh, cruise, cruise line company and, and get into those or like a amusement park. You can kind of get onto those gigs. But what he's talking about, I, my advice is – First of all, don't abandon something if it's going really well for you. Like I have a good friend who works full-time musician in the Baltimore, D.C. area, and he was seriously considering moving to Nashville. And I just I'd asked him, I was like, well, how much are you making currently? Are you, are you playing good music? How much are you working? And how much are you making? And he was making as much of a living there. I think he said he was, he was grossing like 80 grand as, oh, wow. as a, just a professional drummer playing in, the, in that area. <laughs> And I was like, dude, if you do that, you're going to be leaving all that behind and you're going to be starting from zero and you're probably going to be making half of that for a good seven to ten years yeah. unless you just land some gig. So the first thing would be like, well, consider if it's really what you want to do. And another like pretty prominent drummer from London asked me the same thing. He's like, I think I want to move to New York. What do you think? I'm like, don't. Don't do it. If you've already right. got gigs, if you've already established yourself in London, stay there. Don't Don't even think about it. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first thing. Is it really what you want? Is it really a good move? Second, I would say ask some of the people you're working with if they have connections down there because you don't want to just coldly move to a new city. Yeah. You know, I asked uh, when Near Z made the shift from New York to Nashville, I first thing I asked him was like, did you just move there or did you have like gigs waiting for you? He was like, I would have never moved here if I didn't have producers that said, I guarantee you work when you get here. Because you've got a family and stuff. Yeah, so I mean, that's... You know, just not working. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's it. like you're bringing up a good point, which is the core of what you're talking about is, first of all, 
why are you moving? Like yeah. what, what dream is there that isn't it possible? And I've dealt with that as an educator and somebody that deals, you know, when we do drum camps during the drum camps here at our facility, there's private lesson days where it's, it's more of a counseling session than anything else. And every student from a small town is like, yeah, I love it here. Like you're so happy. I think I'll move to, to Folsom. And I'm like, Folsom, <laughs> California, really? This is where you think the art is happening? I'm like, this should show you the opposite that I could be happy anywhere, including Folsom. Like I'm just, right, a, right. I'm, I am the type of person that if you, if you make me work at Starbucks, I have no problem with that, but I will be the manager within six months and I will have to own that building within a year. Yeah. And it's, it, I can't do that. It doesn't matter what town I live in. So I think it has to do with how driven you are as a human being, Robert, if you're very driven, then Nashville can't stop you because you're just driven. But I can tell you this, as far as do's and don'ts, and I think Mike gives some really good advice. If I had a student that was killing it in their hometown I, it would be like, why, why are you moving? Like, what is the point? There's nothing out there. In, unless you just have dreams where you say, look, I want to tour. There's no big acts in my tiny little town. I want to be on big albums. No albums are recorded in my town. Okay, well, that's great. Then, then Nashville has a purpose for you. But as far as do's and don'ts, here's a couple things. One, you know that drummers, getting to know drummers, people kind of say like a drummer will never give you a gig. And it's like, well, that's a lie. Right. A drummer will always give you the gig he doesn't want, he or she doesn't want. And whatever gig that you want, like let's say that you want, um, you know, what? Uh, what's Rich Redmond's gig? Uh, Jason Aldean? Yeah, Jason Aldean. Okay. So let's say that – so you want Rich Redmond's gig and you want to play with Jason Aldean. Well, whatever drummer is playing for Jason Aldean has a gig that he wishes he was doing. So yeah. at some point, Taylor Swift calls Rich Redmond and he's like, dude, that's my dream gig. I have to go and I happen to know these three guys. And he – you know, so being in contact and, and with drummers is a great thing. The other thing is go to gigs and find the bands that you really like. And talk to the band leader and let them compliment their drummer and let them know. Because like I said, at some point that drummer may leave. So what I would do, and I've done this in the past. I saw Johnny Rabb play here in Sacramento uh, with a band that I really wanted to be in. I knew that Johnny was already living in Nashville. This is a few years ago. And I came up to the leader and I said, hey, how's it going? I just want to let you know my name is Mike Johnston. I'm a drummer. I think your drummer is probably one of my favorite drummers in the world. And he's perfect for this gig. But I also know he doesn't happen to live in town. So if there's ever a time where you want to keep doing this kind of music or if there's anything I can help with, here's my card. Just let me know. And and so instead of saying I could crush your drummer, which is, you know, that band member is going to fight for his brother like no tomorrow. So you don't want to do that. You want to say, actually, your drummer is incredible and he's perfect for this gig. But if he ever goes to college or if he ever gets another gig, I just want you to know that I'm here to help out in any way I can because I really connect with this style of music. And that way you're not dogging anyone out. You're always being positive. But, yeah, I, I think, like Mike said, try to make sure that you have some connections. You have some sort of people that have your back before you get there. And then you should be should be all good to make this decision. So good luck, yeah. Robert, and keep us posted, man. Yeah, now, you had another, another question, right? Yeah, it came in from Dominic Rodriguez. He wanted to know um, – if we've ever discussed or thought about how to incorporate percussion instruments into what we do. And if we can talk about our favorite percussion instrument that we like to use, for example, the cajon, the djembe, shakers, or something else. And how do we approach these instruments as a drummer if you're not a percussionist? Ah, that is very important. Uh, Very important. Especially if I play a lot of world music and I had to really learn on the gig, unfortunately, that everything I had ever learned was – 
in order to replace the percussionist. So when I got into my first kind of real Latin group and I was playing what I thought to be a mambo with two auxiliary percussion players, they were like, what are you doing? You're playing our parts. And I'm yeah, like, what yeah. do I do? And they're like, you just please don't do anything. Like, we don't. You're not even. You're not even part of this instrumentation in its classic form. You're not. Yeah. The drum set isn't part of this. And I had to re- relearn everything from scratch and really learn. Okay, if they are there, then I have to do something very different than what I've learned as a drum set part. You know, for any kind of salsa music. And then if they are not there, then that's when I do get to play the bell pattern on the ride symbol of my bell or a cowbell. And then I get to play the clave with my left hand and maybe a tumbao with my feet. Um, so anyway, so I would say for me, the, the percussion thing that I use, the only percussion that's ever made its way onto my drum set has been a cowbell. And Meinl's going to kill me for saying this, but it's always been the exact same cowbell. And it's an LP salsa bell, the really flat ones. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, the wide mouth flat ones. And I just love that cowbell, and I can't find that same sound in Gone Bop. I can't find it in, you know, LP, or I'm sorry, in uh, Toka or in, even in Minel. So um, I, I play an LP salsa bell, and I use it quite a bit. It, it kind of comes in and out of my setup as far as clinics go for the last maybe 10 years. And that's the only piece of percussion that's ever made it on my kit, but I play, I love it. And I've got two, uh, two wraps of gaff tape on the outside, right by the mouth of it. And God, it just sounds, it sounds like a cowbell sample. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. awesome. I love that thing. So what about you, buddy? Well, I do a lot of, uh, like hybrid percussion acoustic duo gigs. Okay. So I like probably going back a decade and now I used to just figure out ways to kind of cover everything. So my setup most often consists of like a small acoustic bass drum, like a 20 inch, um, hi hat. And I'll put a snare drum over to the left. Then I'll have a djembe where the snare drum goes. And then congas where the toms would go, and then maybe a, a cymbal, and, and I always have shakers and tambourines. So okay. it's kind of a little bit of everything. I think when he's he's asking what our favorite one is, um, personally, I, I would go with the djembe as my favorite because it's kind of the easiest to get drum set type sounds on, and it it's the loudest. You don't have to smash your hands super hard, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And but but and it's also the most comfortable. The cajon. I think is the best for not sounding like you're doing world percussion. Like if you want right. to just, if you're playing with acoustic guitars and you're doing like, like country covers or pop covers, the djembe is going to instantly make it sound like you're trying to play world music. Yeah. Whereas yeah, a cajon sure. just kind of sounds like you're just, you're playing just unique sounding drum set beats. The, yeah. It's, it's just a, a much more rhythmic instrument. Yeah. Um, it just, you're just hearing rhythm. You're not hearing tone. Exactly. So. The problem is it's really uncomfortable to play, especially if you're taller. Like I, it just kills my back. So I've done done many like three set gigs on a cajon. At the end of the night, I can barely stand up. So Oof. I wouldn't call it my favorite, but it's probably the most useful. Is the cajon djembe would be my favorite. I think you've always got to have some shakers and tambourines, even if you're just playing primarily a drum set gig. You never know if you're playing. You end up doing a like a lighter song, and you you just sometimes don't want to play hi hat. Well, you just grab a nice shaker and yeah. use that instead. So, um, yeah. So most of my incorporation is to not play world music at all. It's to play contemporary music lighter and and have it just sound like cover more sounds. Because if it's a duo, which is a guitar, a singer, and me, I don't want to just play and be playing one sound all night. So yeah, and, and you don't want to play stuff. those stupid hot rods. You don't want to play those hot rod things. I know I know how much you hate those. Never. No, I think that's a, a great thing. I think also for all of you guys out there that are kind of at least remotely interested 
in percussion, please, before you spend a bunch of money on shakers, please experiment on making your own. They're so yeah. fun to make. And anything that is a, you know, that can hold something, whether it be uh, a, a glass bottle or I, my favorite shaker on the planet is a uh, Bud Light Silver Bullet. <laughs> what is it? It's a it's a can with a screw top from like, oh, yeah. like the it's like the give them you, to your basketball games or something. Yeah, exactly. So I have uh, a percussionist made it for me. <laughs> it's so it is that. And then inside of it is um, beads like little little tiny beads that you would make a necklace out of uh, like plastic beads. And I've never I even took that shaker to Meinl and I said, this is the best sounding shaker I've ever had. <laughs> and uh, it's it's incredible. And so it doesn't really fit in with my straight edge vibe, but uh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't want to change the sound. And yeah, so I've yeah. even thought like, man, what if I spray paint it? That's going to add a layer of something. And it, I mean, the sound is so absolutely perfect. So so anyway, so I think that, um, you know, experiment with that, because I mean, Think about what kind of industrial sound you're going to get by putting a couple screws and bolts and washers inside a glass jar. I yeah. mean, that could be such a cool thing. And and then you all of a sudden you have all these homemade shakers. And I love using a shaker in my right hand and then kick, you know, yeah. pedal and then snare. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, you know? I've, I've made a few. My favorite is a it's a big coffee can. Like I don't know what the size is, but the the bigger coffee okay. can. And I sure. Someone had given me a bunch of decaf coffee for Christmas, and I'm not going to drink that. So right? Just, Hell no! I just don't let that, that slow you down. It, it's great because it almost sounds like like if you would play a shaker on on tape and then slow the tape down. It like oh, cool it man! It has like that. That sounds like a shaker, but sort of almost like a maraca or a shaker ray. So that's my favorite. And then also a, a good buddy of mine with his tambourines, he takes the metal jingles out of it, and then he okay. just cuts wooden. He take, takes different pieces of wood and cuts them in the shape of jingles and replaces oh wow them. so that's a whole different sound it's like this what a cool thing clacky tambourine type vibe that's awesome there's man. all kinds that's of really stuff you cool. can do you can spend a lot of money on percussion and I, I mean you should buy you should definitely buy some stuff but yeah you're right i mean if you break a damn because tambourines are those jingles are going to break eventually the the yeah the rods are going to come out so when that happens, don't throw it away just use it and, and make your own junkyard version you can take bottle caps if you flatten the bottle caps out you can use those as jingles, and that's a, a nice. crazy kind of African shaker sound. Wow! Yeah, all kinds look at of you. Stuff. Yeah, I'm kind man, of man. I just I was just thinking about like okay, like take like four bottle caps, flatten them out, drill holes in the middle, tie them together, hang them off your ride cymbal. Yeah, exactly. Boom. That's you know, a good ones. You know, uh, my favorite percussion thing I ever saw in a rock band. I, I, it was uh, some band here in Sacramento. I can't remember how big they were. I mean, it was a local show. But and I'm sure you've seen this before, but I hadn't seen it at the time. This is maybe ten years ago, and the drummer played his ride cymbal the entire time with a maraca, and it just had this cool yeah, shaker yeah. sound, but not a lot of impact to the ride. The ride just constantly was swelling, but it never had a lot of definition. And and yeah, but you always had the snap of the of the maraca. It was really cool. Yeah. So there's another one. If, I don't know if you follow Aaron Sterling on Instagram. No. Uh, He's a session drummer from L.A. He's, he was on John Mayer's last two records and, and a lot of, lot of great stuff. So he's in that kind of singer-songwriter world where they're always trying to make the drum parts sound like different textures. And stuff. Sure. So he did a video. It's on his Instagram page where I think Greg Keplinger made it, but it looks like a it looks like a big claw, like a metal claw with, with bottle cap type things on it. So okay. So he, he actually hits the snare drum with it, so it creates like a crazy hi-hat kind of a sound. 
check it wow. out. It's it's like I'll check it out for yeah, sure. It, I thought for sure he would have been overdubbing that stuff, but it's all the stuff that's awesome. Time, so yeah, Kevin that's awesome. Crazy, crazy oh. stuff. Alrighty, well, hopefully that answers some of your guys' questions. You can always send us more questions into Modern Drummer. For now, it's time to move into a little educational corner. I wanted to talk to Mike about his favorite exercises for the book Syncopation. So, Ted Reed's book Syncopation, which I mistakenly um, praised Jim Chapin on the phone for one time. And uh, Jim uh, <laughs> uh, pretty much bitch slapped me. That's fine. But I was like, I love your book, Syncopation. And he's like, well, I'll tell Ted Reed when I get to heaven that you like his book. Um, anyways, uh, one of the greatest books ever written, if you know how to use it. To yeah. me, one of the worst books ever written, if you don't know how to use it. Yeah. But once you know how to use it, and so, and what I mean by worst books, I, I'm, what I mean is if you just started playing drums and you were told, oh, everyone's got to get stick control and everyone's got to get syncopation, you would get syncopation and three pages in, you would just quit. You'd be like, this is stupid. Then you have a drum teacher take you through it and you realize it's one of the most genius books ever written. So pretty much the genius of syncopation is not the book itself. It's what you do with it. So I wanted to talk to Mike about what he does with it. And maybe we could share some of our favorite uh, uses for the book syncopation. Yeah. So I focused on, uh, I guess it's like page 31 to 33, I think when, when the section actually called syncopation shows up because the whole first half of the book is just basic eighth notes and 16th note right. rhythms. But when you get to the section called syncopation, that's when you see all these figures that look like a big band chart. Yeah. So I start there. I don't. I don't think I've actually worked through the first half of it at all. Um, yeah, I started other, on summary number one. Yeah, is the, the first page that Pete Magadini gave me. There's so many other books like the Alfred Drum Method and Haskell Harris books. They kind of cover all that stuff that's in the first half. But once you get to page 31, I think that's what it was in the original pressing I had. It, it might be different now, but it's where it says syncopation on top of the right. page. So I start there, and I, the best uses I've got out on it was to to learn how to read charts because the way those rhythms are on a yep. page, it looks just like what you would get for a big band chart. Yeah. And they kind of, I don't know what the printing method was back then, but it, it's almost kind of handwritten, right. but it's not like it's, you know, finale. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I mean, know. It's what so old. I should, I should ask someone who would know who knows. I don't know what they were doing back then. I guess at one point someone had to hand do it and I guess they made some kind of a copy of it and that became a, right. a, a template or something. So sure. Anyway, so anyway, I, I'd start there and I use the long short method. So whenever you see okay. a note that's a quarter note or longer, then you play that with the bass drum. If it's a, if okay. it's an eighth note or shorter, then you play it with the snare drum. So you're using it as a comping exercise? Yeah, well, comping and also a way to, like if you get a big band chart and you see these figures on it, nine times out of ten, if you're playing, if it's a straight ahead swing feel, if you see a long note, that means it's going to be a low note or it's going to be a high impact note. So that means right. the bass drum and cymbal yeah. combination, crash cymbal or the shoulder right. of the ride cymbal. So I read those as bass drum, shoulder crash on the ride cymbal. And anything that's short is a sh would be played short by the horns, usually the trumpets or something like that. Man, I tell my students all the time, I'm like, when you hit these figures and you only play the rhythm of the figures, do you know how much work you are stealing away from the horn section? Right. Like right. these trumpets have worked their asses off to tongue these notes perfectly tight and you and you hit a giant crash, a twenty-inch crash symbol when they went. Tut. Yep. And it's like you stole all of their hard work. Yeah. You know, help them out. Yeah. So the read simple, the articulation of these notes. So just going with if you just use a simple approach of every long note is going to be bass drum and crash, every short note is going to be snare drum. That nine times out of ten, that's going to be exactly how the band is phrasing it as well. 
Totally. So Absolutely. that's that's yeah. how I learned how to phrase big. So you just so I start with just playing regular swing time with the hi hat and the ride cymbal, and then reading all those rhythms using that long short approach between the bass drum and snare drum. Got it. So that's, that's a major man. coordination development and also phrasing. It just it gets you in the right way to read these charts, and then once you do it that way, you can think of it as setting up those figures. So if it's on an offbeat, so if it's an offbeat short note, you're going to play a hard bass drum on the eighth note right before that to kind of set it up or if it's a nice a long note on the end of three you're going to set it up with a short with a snare drum accent so you get to hit the snare drum on three and then the crash on the end of three so i use that book to learn how to interpret charts because drum charts are just always written poorly there's not enough yeah, yeah, yeah. either too much information or not enough so that's my that's my number one approach um my number two favorite is to to play all those figures as accents within a constant stream of triplets yeah, buddy. They just think you're playing constant triplets, and then you're going to play whatever's on the page as accents that fit over that. So you're going to have to interpret eighth notes as as swung notes. Yeah, with a swing. Which key. I mean, is, that's kind of a big part of that thing with even with your students is under letting them know you're going to see one ant 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 in your band chart, but it's one uh, two, uh, three, right. uh You know, right. you're, you're going to have to be able to make that mental. Uh, uh, change into swing time yeah so, so I, I like to do that but i the 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 best uh, interpretation of that for me is to play all the accents with the right hand and all the unaccents with the left hand so that kind of oh, gets nice. you straight okay. into a buddy rich kind of style so when you start phrasing yeah. that around the kid all of a sudden you sound like buddy rich or joe morello and then you can right. also apply the long short uh, interpretation so you play the bass drum on all the long notes while still filling in all the the other notes with the left hand so it gets you really into that swing drummer uh, it's definitely like a Buddy Rich, Joe Morello kind of style. Right. It's great for oh, chops great. and just getting figures around the kids. You can just start moving it around, and it's a lot of fun. So those are my two top interpretations of syncopation. Nice. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, well, for me, uh, I think if you want to get the kind of hand-to-hand thing going, make sure your right hand and your left hand are both getting the same thing. I think reading – let's just say that we're on summary number one um, – Reading it in swing time and triplet feel helps because if since it's all eighth note based, if you're playing sixteenth notes over it hand to hand alternating sixteenths, everything's gonna be very right hand dominated because it's either gonna land on a downbeat or an and, which would be your right hand. Right. So I like having the triplet feel that way. I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between left. So I would say one of the first things I do would be actually it's the same thing that you mentioned. I, I treat the whole thing as triplets. I accent the 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 notes that are there. So if we're in summary one, um, you have bump 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 bump. That's the first four bars of summary one. And so, but then what I do to build up the chops is that everything that's not accented is diddled. So it's a giant triplet based roll with accents. Okay. And that really brings your swing time down because if you're, if you're playing like ding, 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 then you can play dun, 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 they, I play alternating eighth note triplets, and then all the notes are flammed. Um, oh, and wow. that creates a lot of back-to-back flams, alternating flams, which I'm, I'm terrible at. You know, if I play flams, they're very, on the drum set, they're very Foo Fighter-ish. They're like, you know, black and black and black, right. black, black. But having the 
That's kind of tough for me. So I use that a lot. Um, and then another thing that I use it for is it's just it's a limb book. So what I mean by that is maybe I play a double stroke roll between my floor tom and my bass drum. And I got this nice smooth kind of going between my floor and my kick. Um, my left foot's going splash, close, splash, close, splash, close. And then syncopation is my left hand. And I just play the entire summary number one with my left hand around the drum set. Mm. Um, and it's just building kind of that independence. I mean, really, if you play summary number one or any of the summaries, you're going to hit every single combination there is of downbeats and upbeats. Um, so you're just building. It's just an independence thing. Um, so... I do that a lot. Uh, the way that we all were taught to use it as far as a jazz book, as far as, okay, I'm going to play the standard ride cymbal, left foot on two and four, and feather the bass drum, and then I'll play syncopation you know, with my left hand. I right. do that same thing, but I have that with my students with everything else that's maybe straight time. Like So a jazz samba, it becomes their left hand part, mm. and they're encouraged to move around the kit. Uh, maybe a jazz bio. And they got the doom cha doom cha ding cha ding cha So it's just it's one of those things, guys. If if you get the book syncopation, know that what is in the book that is it's 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 so boring to read. And once you start messing with it, it's the most exciting book you could ever have. So it's a very cool thing. There, you also have to ask yourself, like, look at the first printing of that. Look at the date. I'm not sure when it was, but it wasn't recent. It's a very, very old book. Ask yourself, why is this book still around and why do people still keep telling other people to get it? It's not yeah. because somebody messed up. There's a reason. You just have to crack the code. So, yep. All right, buddy. You ready to talk about one of my favorite drummers of all time? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So we are going to feature somebody that, in my mind, has never gotten enough attention for his huge influence on modern rock. And his name is Mr. Mike Borden, the drummer from Faith No More. He's also played with Ozzy Osbourne. And he has been one of my favorites since I was very young. Uh, he was a huge influence on my style of drumming and just wanting to play hard when it came to rock and really, really care about every single note. You know, he, he's not one of those. He's not a David Garibaldi type. Not a lot of diddles, yeah. not a lot of, you know, flash. Just every note has purpose. It it lines up where it's supposed to. And I absolutely love him, man. And just in studying him today, just kind of reacquainting myself with everything, I was like, wait, his first band was with Metallica's Cliff Burton? Like, that's right. crazy. I didn't know that. I had no idea, you know? And then, and I did know pretty much, I mean, for me, as a younger guy, Mike Borden showed up to me with uh, the real thing, you know? Yeah. Or was that their first single? Um, that was the first one with Mike Patton. Right, but the, I mean the first big single that was on the radio, or yeah. no, it was Epic. Excuse Epic, me. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was my obviously that was my introduction, and then I went back and kind of listened to the first album with the first singer, and then and then just fell in love with Mike Patton. But um, one of my favorite stories of all time, and I've told it on the podcast before, of Mike Borden was I was a Yamaha artist for a short period of time. And they were giving me the tour of everything. And we just ended up in kind of like a gear closet somewhere. And there was this stack of broken die-cast hoops. And if you guys know what die-cast hoops are, broken die-cast hoops, it's like that that doesn't even make any sense. And I was like, what? Are those all defects? And I'm like, oh, no, we get a couple of those every every month from Mike Borden from Faith No More from his tour. (laughs) I'm like, he's breaking die-cast hoops? Like, what? How is that even possible, man? And so – 
I, I don't get it, but they were there. They were there and they were broke. And so, but I mean, you know, I think Angel Dust was the one that really made me go, okay. Yeah. One of my favorite drummers of all time and one of my favorite bands of all time. I thought Album of the Year was amazing. Um, you know, and then even listening to uh, Soul Invictus today, I was like, wow, man, these guys, they're just a fantastic band. And so, have you ever met Mike Borden? Have you ever interviewed him? No, I haven't. And I, wow. I, I thought I was going to get a chance to when this last record came out, but it just didn't quite work with our scheduling, so we didn't get in touch with him. But yeah, he's the same thing. He's been huge for me. I'm mean, 1989, I think, is when that, when the real thing came out, or maybe 91. Okay. It was definitely in that, like, Nirvana hadn't hit yet, but alternative music was kind of bubbling over. It was, it was like something right. was definitely going to happen in the next couple of years. So they were kind of at the forefront of it. They were like right, oh, on, yeah. the, right on the heels of the Queens Rikes and the the Guns and Roses and stuff. So that was like yeah, a they whole were. New it's thing. so funny to listen to it now, but they were the weird ones. Oh, they were so you know? weird. Yeah, and his yeah. his drumming was is just so powerful and. And I've been listening to those records since then, and and they're the ones that hold up to me because they're so unique, they're so different, and his drumming is so like not conventional. It sounds simple, right. but once you start listening to it more, you realize that he's not he's not always riding on the hi hat, he's not always riding on the ride cymbal. Sometimes he's right. playing the rims, sometimes he's pounding out the toms, sometimes he's pounding out on the toms and then throwing the rims in in between those notes. So it's just this crazy texture. I think he studied yeah. African drumming. I think I remember him saying that he was a big African drumming student. And if you wow. listen to like, you know, folkloric African, the master drummers are always hitting the head and then the shell. So you're hearing a lot of clacky and earthy stuff. And I think if you listen to him, you're hearing that too. He's hitting the toms and he's hitting the rims yeah. to get that clacky stuff. So super cool. I don't know that anyone has really been able to transcribe him. So that's yeah no he's he, he was just so original and and not you know not fame hungry by any means uh yeah. i i was a huge fan of him at the same time that i was you know very obsessed with modern drummer and i don't remember seeing a ton of ads or a ton of interviews um and then it was i mean just seeing like oh wow he's not just faith no more's drummer he's now in ozzy osbourne's band yeah. you know and, and took over that gig for a while and then, and that was, I mean, you guys might want to, you know, like, oh, Ozzy Osbourne. I'm talking 1996. Like, Ozzy was actually quite a big deal. I mean, the Ozfest had just started. Right. It was massive. And, and Ozzy wasn't, you know, the funny old man we know now. He was he was killing and the band was killing. And then in 2000, he takes over for David Silveria in Corn for a while. And so he just, he was just showing, like, hey, I, I can do this. And, and I, I just... I think he's huge, man. And like, uh, I'm trying to think. I think it's on Angel Dust. Might be Jizzlobber. That's like, it's like the most cool intro ever. It's one of the few songs that, as soon as I hear the drums, I know the entire song. I know everything, and that's a pretty rare thing. Um, and yeah, I had I had to really bring up my single bass drum speed for for Angel Dust because yeah, it's it's four in a row. Yeah. You know, and, and his, or no, what is it? I'm sorry, I shouldn't be doing drum singing, <laughs> um, but I, I, I absolutely, it's, ah, uh, oh, I can't get it out of my head, and it's, uh, but anyways, his, I, uh, I was obsessed with it. In his first cover story back, it would have been like the '93 or something. I mean, I was, I was just a subscriber reading it. He told a great story about how his, it was his band director or his private teacher, just told him he's never going to be a drummer. He just doesn't have the talent to be a drummer. I love it. Just give it up. I love it. So he just said, oh. nope, screw you, I'm going to do it. And he became, you know, obviously one of the most influential 
and important drummers of the alternative rock genre and time. Absolutely. He's still relevant today. That's one thing that I really love about it is I listen to faith no more. Like I'll listen to angel dust, um, King for a day, fool for a lifetime. I think that's what it's called. Um, yep. and the, the one that has kind of like a different guitar player on every track and then, and then album of the year, the, especially album of the year. I mean, that stuff could come out right now and people be like, Oh, there's this new band, super yep. crazy singer can sing his ass off and scream as well as anybody. And I, I, it used to always bum me out when I, every time I would see an interview with Incubus, uh, this sounds like it's far fetched, but every time I see an interview with Incubus, I was like, please just admit that you love Mike Patton, Brandon Boyd. Please just admit that you're influenced by him. Because I, I mean, we used to tour with Incubus back in the day and I was like, you scream and you sing and you do it just like Mike Patton in a great way. I love Incubus, but it was like, just admit it. Cause I, Chino Moreno always would admit it in interviews. Like, Oh, I'm a huge Mike Patton fan. Yeah. Um, and I got a chance to, this isn't a Mike Borden thing, but I got a chance to tour with Mr. Bungle for a while. And that was another just amazing thing to spend time with Mike Patton and learn about his approach to everything. So maybe someday we'll get more into Mike Patton's influence on the rock scene because it's 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 so massive. And I hope someday he gets kind of the recognition of creating so many amazing bands and drummers. Cause, yeah. um, and, and, and same with Mike Borden. I think Mike Patton and Mike Borden just kind of go together as far as very understated influence on the drum industry and on the music industry. But it's there for sure. Yeah, and a great left-handed player, too. Not too many of those. Absolutely. On a right-handed kit, put the ride over on the left, and he's like, whatever, man. It makes so much and sense. I, yeah. Oh, it, it, How much would you love to have the whole drum set open to you like that? Yeah. You know? I, I wish I was left-handed lead on a right-handed kit. I, it drives me nuts when I see drummers that are left-handed on a left-handed kit. I'm like, do you know how lucky you are? The whole drum set's open to you. When you play the hi-hat, that's a beautiful thing. You have all these melodies just sitting there waiting to be played. All you have to do is learn how to kick a ball with your right foot, you know, yeah, and then yeah. you're good to go. So, all right, well, let's make a sweet transition into the dessert. So it is gear review time. This is where we get to review a piece of gear and you get to hear it, which is a very cool thing. So today's gear review is going to be a 14 by 5 Gretsch Chrome Over Brass USA Custom Snare Drum. That is a snare drum that is a rolled brass shell. It has a chrome plating on the outside and inside of it and has die cast hoops. This is, uh, I, I didn't look it up, and maybe I can do it now. I don't know how much these go for. Um, I'll look it up. You can but, keep going. Okay. So the 14 by 5 the reason why I wanted to review this is because this is actually one of the first snare drums Gretsch ever sent me uh, four or five years ago when I signed with them. So I just thought, okay, well, send me your kind of classic snare drum. They sent me the 14 by 5 uh, chrome over brass. And if you've ever seen this, it's it just looks like a beautiful chrome snare drum, but it is a brass shell. Well, they sent it to me, and I was in a position or in a place in my drumming where I was very, not against muffling, but I, w- I just wanted to find a drum set and a snare drum that sounded fantastic with no gaff tape, no you know Vader buzz kills, no moon gels, just let me play the drum. And this drum has a ton of life. It is a brass snare drum, and the chrome plating... It doesn't just it doesn't mute it down. It actually enhances the high end, the snap of the drum. So you're not muting the drum at all. So on its own, the drum just has a ton of life, and it was just too it was too vibrant for me, too alive, and so it kind of became lost in the shuffle of my snare drum collection until recently when Mike and I were talking on the podcast about different snare drums and chrome over brass and nickel over brass. We were doing the whole Ludwig Black Beauty thing, and I thought, you know what? Now that I'm actually 
more into muffling my drums a little bit with either gaff tape or I'm using Vader buzz kills. Let me try that out again. And man, it's just, it's mm. just an incredible snare drum. I even texted you, right? Yeah, like, yeah. dude, chrome over brass, chrome over you, brass. Yeah, you said you're switching teams, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I feel a little guilty. Because, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm a wood snare drum guy at heart. And I love my Brooklyn wood. And I just got a brand new USA custom wood snare drum. But, uh, but man, it's, it, it, you know, it's what we told the listeners originally. This isn't better or worse. It's just a sonic difference. But I really like it. Man, it's a, it's 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 a it's still pretty high high endy. It's it's got a lot of snap, and that's why I was talking about maybe eventually getting uh, the bronze snare drum. But yeah. it is pretty amazing. Now, do you have uh, a COB Gretsch, even an old one, or I have you ever played I one? Have I have a six and a half by fourteen chrome over brass Gretsch shell. Um, okay. that I dropped into a Sleeshman suspension system. Okay, I don't know if you've seen those, but they're like completely yeah, yeah. free floating. And it, it, the shell isn't a perfect match for that. It's 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 not quite right. It, but it still sounds kind of cool. I need to just get some hardware for it. But I do have yeah. a, a chrome of our brass that came with my Rogers kit, five by four. Okay, great drum. I actually took that on the road, uh, just like exactly how you're describing. Kind of high endy, yeah. but you can muffle it down, and so it's a good live drum. It kind of reminds me of like Stuart Copeland's snare sound. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It just it really. Um, it, it gave my whole drum set a little bit more shimmer, a little more life to it, yeah. um, which is, you know, like I said, you have to kind of think of it more as an option than as a good or bad thing. It's it, it can't be good or bad. It just is. But if you're looking for that immediately, my toms seem to have more snap to them yeah. because when I would hit my toms, I'm getting a higher pitch snare buzz. You know, I'm getting that sync up. Uh, what is it called? Uh, sympathetic snare buzz from right. my toms. And it's a higher pitch snare buzz. So all of a sudden, my drums do have a little more snap to them. So I, I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. The one thing I do want to try, and I won't have it in time for the audio example that we're going to play in just a little bit, but I do want to put on the, what is it, the the Brooklyn hoops, the 302s or oh, the, yeah. the, the double flange hoops, because I want to just see how it kind of changes that drum. Um, I do have a full now. set of, it's die cast, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do have the full set of, uh, or a, a set of, of single flange tubes with the claws, but I think that'll just open it up way too much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you'll dig that. Is it a eight no. lug or a 10 lug? One, two, three, four, five. It is, uh, it is eight. All right. So I, I found it online. It looks like it's, you can get it for around 400 bucks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's a great price. CG 4160 snare drum, chrome over brass, 5 by 14 Does it have that the, is correct. Yeah, the center with like a little ridge in it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at it on Gretsch's website. Gretsch's explanation is, the Gretsch classic, crisp, powerful attack that always managed to find its own space in the overall mix. By chrome plating our brass shell, the high end of the drum is accentuated, making for a very controlled snap, and this property carries across all three sizes. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> does it have the, the lightning throw-off? Yeah, it does, and DW has remachined the lightning throw-off to be ten times sturdier than it's ever been. Okay. So... So if you're going to get one, I would wait like another two months until it's kind of cycled through and they've made it all the way through their yeah, shops. Right. But the um, the new lightning throw-off is completely redone by DW, by the people at DW, and it's it's incredible. Because so, it's always been kind of a flimsy throw-off, you know? It looks great, but... It looks like they're putting it into the Brooklyn series now. Is that the same drum? The Brooklyn series? So, so the, the, the difference is that the Brooklyn um, has the different hoops, 
and it comes in a 14 by five and a half as well. And I don't think this one comes in a 14 by five and a half. Um, but yeah, um, I was trying to think of what the difference is between maybe it might just be just the throw off the badge and the fact that it doesn't come with die cast hoops. So same shell probably. uh, Yep. So, but yeah, I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's a classic drum. The only thing that I'm finding a little bit to be a bummer of is it's Chrome. So it gets fingerprints like crazy. Like it, you have to clean it. I haven't cleaned my drums in forever because I don't have lacquered finishes. So, yeah, and I have ugly, you know, my symbols are hideous on purpose. So I, I don't really clean anything. I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is a very beautiful drum. I got to clean it. So without further ado, let's uh, listen to this thing. Now, I'm going to play it for a little bit for you guys without any muffling whatsoever. So you can kind of hear what I was going through and what I originally thought of this drum. And I'm going to put just one single Vader buzzkill uh, close to the mic to take out some of those overtones and then you'll hear this kind of amazing snap and crack that has made me fall in love with this snare drum first i'll start off with the snare in a medium to high tuning no muffling whatsoever and i've got an aquarian response to coated head Now I've added one piece of Vader buzzkill about an inch into the drum and I've got it right underneath the snare mic. So once again, that is the 14x5 Chrome Over Brass USA Custom Gretsch Snare Drum. All right, now it's time to get to our picks of the week. This is where Mike and I can alert you to something that we are currently using ourselves or just something that we think is very cool. So, Mike, what is your pick of the week, buddy? This is something that I uh, brought back from Nam. Uh, someone came over to our booth. I wish I could remember his name. Sorry if I if – I, oh, and by the way, we should apologize for the audio quality for last week's – Oh, episode. yes. For any of you that thought you had tinnitus, you didn't. <laughs> there was something wrong with the microphone that we had in the room. We apologize profusely. We are very sorry that you'd had, you had to listen to the, that random pig squealing through our entire show. Yeah, I thought maybe it was just the fact that we were both deaf from the NAMM show and we were just hearing a ringing. Something. I don't know what it was. It maybe it was the air conditioner. I think it was something in the, the recorder just not, not syncing up right. So, yeah, apologize. We tried to yeah. EQ it out as best we could. So if it really bothers you, We'll, we'll just remove that episode. Don't give us a bad yeah. review for that. <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> we tried, uh, man. So anyway, my pick. Uh, a guy came up to our booth. He's a, a teacher, drummer, and he's like, "If you if you ever seen this thing called the the Beatnik Rhythmic Analyzer?" I was like, "Sure." I mean, they they've been here for years. I've I've checked it out one or two times, and you know, I'm, it's cool, but not really paid as much attention to it. So he took right. me over there to it, and I met the guy who designed it super nice guy he also does like guitar tuners and things like that so it's not like he's a one product company he's he's quite successful making all kinds of other stuff but he he said to me he's like you know this thing just kind of it had a nice couple year run you know i think it came out like 10 years ago 
but it's kind of flatlined. And I'm thinking about killing it. I was like, wait a minute, before you do that, Whoa. let me check it out. So I, I went over and put some headphones on and and checked it out. And basically what it does is it's a practice pad with a built-in metronome and there's sensors under the pad that can that that basically analyze your dynamics and okay. your, your spacing. So when if you just turn it on and just, just hit the start button, it gives you 60 beats per minute and a 16th note subdivision in the metronome. So as soon as you start playing along to it, it's analyzing how close you are to the clicks and your dynamic range. So as soon as you stop okay. playing, the screen on it just flips over to the, the, the graph mode and it shows you where, you know, how far ahead or behind you're actually playing. And it gives you a percentage of how accurate you are. So if wow. you're 85%, 50% accurate, and there's a bunch of different difficulty levels, easy, medium, hard, and then expert that kind of just squeeze the... the uh, the the range of how far ahead or behind you can be before it's not considered on the on the click. Wow! So it gives you a percentage of how many times you're on the click, and then it gets, it shows you a graphic of representation of your dynamics and your spacing. So it's super cool. Um, he sent me home with one to try out. I thought we would you know I would check it out. If I dug it, I would talk about it on the show, and then maybe we would start using nice. it in the magazine. So it's pretty fantastic. Um, wow. I, I've heard some complaints about the durability, so we'll have to revisit it in a month or so sure. and see if it just yeah, yeah, of stops. Course. But so I just and it feels just like a pad. Yeah, it's like a like a hard rubber pad. It's sure. not like a super soft neoprene pad. It's more of like a hard rubber pad, not like the real bouncy stuff. More like the right. like the underside of a real feel, the black rubber type. What about mounting? Does it have to be on a table, or does it have a thread on the bottom? It's got a thread for a symbol stand or, or whatever, okay. and you can it'll fit in a snare basket as well. It's not oh, huge. Oh, really? Yeah, it's probably like the pad itself. About is a 12, right? Inches. I think it's oh, like, it's small. It's, okay. pr- it's relatively small, and the screen is just a few inches. So it's it's somewhat compact. You could fit it in a briefcase. Definitely. I think it's just cool that somebody was able to – I've always wanted to do something where it's like, can we integrate technology into a practice pad? Yeah. You know, I, I remember, God – on iPhone 1, maybe, or iPhone 2, I was talking to DW, like, why can we not put a docking station into a pad? Yeah. Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand this. It's a perfect spot for it. You could charge it. You could, you know, have your metronome go. All of a sudden, instead of putting the technology into the pad, I already have the technology in my iPhone. Why don't I just put that into the pad? Um, yeah. So, anyways, I look forward to that product coming yeah, out. So now. I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. It, yeah, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> Let I mean, me that- tell you all my other secrets. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, the, the, it hasn't changed. It hasn't been updated in ten years. So it 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 does have the old school black and white LCD screen. It's not it's not a digital right. screen or anything. But I was just doing the simple math. A practice pad is thirty bucks. A good metronome is, I mean, a, a Doctor Beat is like a hundred bucks. Right. So you're already up yeah. in the hundred and twenty bucks. And this thing you can find you can find it for like a hundred and ten bucks. Okay, so it so it is an investment. It's not it's, you know yeah, a twenty dollar pad. But it I've been using it. Every night since I've been – well, I've only been back one night, but I've been using it ever since he gave it to me at the show. And what I do is I just play like basic stick control exercises. So I'll just start with exercise number one, which is alternating 16th notes. Turn it on. Don't look at the screen because you can kind of get obsessed if you if you look at it. Sure. Just play like eight bars, stop, and then see where I'm at. And if I don't hit 85% accuracy, I got to do it again. Oh, that's cool, man. And that's so I've cool. been going through all the stick control. And it's – it's a good tool for, you know, because if you're just playing to a click, you you can kind of you, you sound like you're on it, but you don't really know until you do this, and then it, it tells you you're 65 percent accurate, and then you realize, like, wow, I've got some work to do. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially there. if it's telling you, you know, what side of accurate you are, exactly. you know, whether you're dragging or rushing. Now, I think I think the failure, you know, or I don't want to call it failure because it's it's still in business, but the kind of downside of that pad is not the pad it's the human beings that are willing to care about their drumming that much there's just very few of them um we already have a tiny industry as it is and then if you try to find the people that are so obsessed with time that they would actually care about that type of thing it's just a small percentage of human beings but it should be it should be a hundred percent of us (laughs) absolutely number one thing well, I, I'm glad it's not. Then the people that have good time wouldn't stand out. It'd be normal. <laughs> I always tell people that they're like, don't you just get frustrated at how unmotivated people are? I'm like, hell no. How do you think yeah, I stand right. out? Is my, All the lazy people are the ones that help me seem like I'm really doing something. Really, I'm just doing the norm. Like, right. But it stands out because you've got like a bunch of drummers that are like, eh, maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe I won't. So <laughs> Yeah, but it's got a lot uh, of right. other features. You can, you can basically do program it and have it do all kinds of like fives and sevens you can have it drop out certain subdivisions you can have it sequence like 16ths and then triplets i mean it can do wow i barely even i just turn it on and just go on and i'm already <laughs> excited i'm really excited to kind of you know sometimes you go to sit down you just feel like your limbs just aren't they aren't working with your brain correctly oh yeah and there's really no way to assess like what is the problem and i think most of the time that's a mental thing like you're right. just not focused so I'm excited to take this to a gig and and warm up with it instead of just mindlessly, you know, wanking out paradiddles. Right. I can but say warming I, up your mind and your time yeah. and your feel. And I can say I'm not going to stop warming up until I hit 90 percent accuracy. Then there's That's no more cool. excuse. The first downbeat of the, of the set, you should be dialed in. Yeah. And I've also noticed that my tendency is to be less accurate at the the beginning of the exercise. Oh, so totally. I'm not mentally yeah, focused. No, you, you need that I little. Start. I call that the tightrope period where you just kind of lean to one side too much of the tempo, then you lean yep. to the other side, the other side, and then you finally find your balance. But by then it's like, dude, nobody can count on you because it's already been three bars of tightrope, yep. you know, just you thing, balancing back and forth. This thing tells you that. And, and what's kind of neat is if you come out of the gates sloppy, there's no way you're going to ever get back to 90% accuracy because you just blew your right. percentage from the very yeah. beginning. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I'll check it out as well. Can you uh, give the name and maybe a website or Yeah, the, the company, company at least? is Onboard Research, and the product is BeatNik, B-E-A-T-N-I-K. The, I don't know what the website is, but if you just okay. look up the BeatNik Rhythmic Analyzer, it's on Musician's Friend, it looks like, for $107. There we go. Oh, wow. So MF carries it. Yep. Perfect. That's awesome. You know what? We need to get some promo codes going and be like, and if you enter in right. Mike and Mike at the checkout, you get an extra 5% off, but we get an extra 20%. <laughs> 20% uh, That's nothing. cool, man. <laughs> we, we, you and I can spend nothing almost better than anybody. We, <laughs> all right. Well, my pick of the week is something kind of simple, and it's not something that I would recommend for the audiophiles out there and the people that are obsessed with great recordings, but it's called Mixcraft, and Mixcraft is a uh, DAW digital audio workstation it is uh, a recording program from the company acoustica a-c-o-u-s-t-i-c-a and the reason why i'm recommending mixcraft is not because it's better than pro tools or better than you know ableton or or, uh, logic 
it's actually quite the opposite. It is the garage band of PC. So for the people out there that are intimidated when they open something like Reason or when they open something like Pro Tools, I agree with you. Until you really take some time and learn what everything is doing, it's very intimidating. Where Mixcraft is GarageBand. It's it's so visually childish that you just it all makes sense. It's like, well, there's a giant ass record button and that one has a drum set next to it. I'm assuming that's where my drum track's going to go. <laughs> and it's it's just so unbelievably simple. And for people that are just trying to make a video to put on social media of themselves playing drums, I don't think you need Pro Tools HD. I think I think something just simple would be great. So you can you can get a free trial of it um, very easily on their site. It would just be acoustica.com slash mixcraft, or you can buy it, the full thing, uh, for 70 bucks. It comes with plugins, all the plugins you wow. need. It comes with virtual instruments. It comes with loops. So if you want to kind of practice along to a reggae jam, you just bring in the reggae loop. It, it literally, like I said, it's GarageBand for PC. Uh, and so, and GarageBand is one of those few programs that hasn't made the the changeover. You know, it's not cross platform; it stays on Mac. And so, for those people like me that use a PC and need something very simple to record themselves with or to practice along with, I highly recommend it. And especially if you just want to get that studio experience, but you don't want to invest in a studio, hell, just get a like a one channel interface or a two channel interface. Plug this thing into your computer, record yourself playing to a click and get that studio experience and, and you know, line your get used to playing on a grid. I think that would be great for you. And like I said, it already has a ton of virtual instruments and virtual loops in there. So uh, that is Mixcraft by Acoustica. For all of you guys that are into recording, don't don't think that that's my choice for DAW. That's just not everyone is trying to make the next, you know, album. So right, right. sometimes people just need to record themselves and visually it, it couldn't be more simple. So. There you go. Great. All righty, buddy. Well, episode 26 is in the books. I think that might be a record for us. Do you know how long we went? Uh, I'm at 107, plus we got to add your audio, so we might be up to 110 here. Woo! Doggy. Get long winded. If somebody's in traffic, they are happy with us right now. <laughs> they are happy with us. Well, thank you for uh, another episode of Fun and Frivolity, Mr. Dawson, and I will see you next week, buddy. All right, see you. Later. Later.